shot first. Come on, grab your friends. We're gonna talk about Star Wars and stuff with Connor Oled and Andrew Roman. The fun will never end. Greeter shot first. But that's just the thing. It's just like, how are there so many Jedi that just go unannounced? It's just, it. Oh, oh. Uh, Uta puta, everybody. Uh, hello and welcome. This is Greedo Shot First. My name is Connor. I'm Andrew. And we're here to talk Star Wars, all things Star Wars, and anything closely related to Star Wars. I guess if you couldn't tell, we were already hot into topic before we even started. Star uh, Wars. Nothing but it's Star, Star Wars. Wars. <laughs> you know, actually, the other day I uh, I pulled out uh, my old N64 and uh, I was playing uh, the Pod Racer game. Oh, it's a great game, but uh, probably my favorite part of the whole game is when you're just at the stats and you, know, you can put your initials in, and it's just uh, Watto in the background going. I remember that. I do remember that. Oh, it's insane, but you know, so it. See, this is a this is the beauty of our friendship here. We can talk Star Wars all day long, and we just happen to put a mic in front of us and make a show about that's, it. So here we go. That's pretty much it. I think <laughs> we might try this uh, soft open technique more because I think we literally have just spent like twenty minutes talking about what we're going to talk about today, and it's like, all right, we should probably just just roll it. Yeah, I, mean, I think we were just threatening ourselves the entire time. But uh, regardless, um, why don't we jump into uh, some recent news before we get to the big topic today. Um, we want to talk about some more casting news for Episode 9. Hell yeah. I think, uh, uh, what the heck, we got Dominic Ma- uh, Monaghan? Monaghan. Monahan, yeah, whatever. That's yeah, close enough. <laughs> Again, Star Wars names are better for me. And Matt Smythe, <laughs> nah, I just made that up. It's Matt Smith, who everyone might actually know is uh, he was he was actually a Doctor Who, right? Yes, yes, he I was think a doctor. He was a doctor. I think he came before or after David Tennant. He was exactly after where. David David Tennant and before this most before Peter Capaldi. Right, 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 right. All right. So, like, I'm, I, I don't follow Doctor Who enough. I know that that might sound blasphemous to any other geeks yeah, out there. Yeah, no, I've, I don't think I've ever actually watched an entire episode. No, but I mean, to each their own. I'm not going to blame anyone for being I, a Doctor Who. I fan. would watch the last three minutes before Top Gear came on. <laughs> That's fair enough. Uh, but uh, so with them being announced, it's it's kind of the same bag as we had last time when we talked about Richard E. Grant and Naomi Aki and Carrie Russell. Yes. It's all unknown, but particularly for Matt Smith, he's said to have a major role. That's I mean that's the way they wrote it in Hollywood Reporter, and I mean so I will say this much: like it is kind of you know uh, journalistic license to say that he has a major role. Perhaps, yeah. but Hollywood Reporter doesn't typically make that stuff up. Exactly, but you know, you never know exactly what you're going to have anymore. It's just they they want to keep you on the edge of your seat. And it's I mean, it's exactly like we said last time. We're not going to get any real information until we see the trailer. But that's not to say that we're going to see Matt Smith's character or Dominic Monaghan's character yeah. either. No, absolutely. But um, you know, and, and I guess just on that front, you know, particularly with uh, Monaghan. You know, well, so he's probably most famous for, he was one of the hobbits. He was, um. Yeah, or, that's why the name sounded yeah, so dang familiar. probably like his, his like sci-fi fantasy geek he, cred. cred. 
he was the one who was like, I think I've broken something, and he pulls a carrot out of his back, right? I think so. I think so. Ah, I, get, I, I always get him and Pippin confused, well, Mary and Pippin. I always thought that he was Pippin, but then somebody, I was listening to some somebody else talking about this announcement, and they said he was Mary. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't actually verify this, so if I'm wrong, I don't really no, care. Honestly, it's just like you gotta you gotta put yourself in like in the moment and like hear the hear like the actual audience talk or no the the actors talk in their characters. Yes, because Pippin's character would just often go, "Mary," you know, like, "Mary, what are you going? You know, what are we doing out here? You know, all that kind of stuff." But that's cool. Yeah, and he's I mean he's from Lost and everything yeah, exactly. too. Like I said, so he's he a was, he's a friend of JJ. Oh yeah, he's been around for too long. Oh, oh well. So I'm excited for that. I uh, and like um, it'd be interesting to see like if he plays a, a part as uh, you know a resistance type. I would hope that he'd be on the good side of this whole thing. Yeah, you know? like, I think you know just to I guess kind of put my 10 second spin on it. I see Mon- like Dominic Monaghan as a resistance type. I mean, my note is I almost wonder if he could be like an extremist of some sort. Almost like Saw Gerrera. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so, like, he might be a little too intense to be, you know, a major part, but, like, you know, he's going to do something crazy, and then that'll be it. That would be interesting. And, I mean, it's funny bringing that up, too, because, I mean, just talking Lord of the Rings and everything like that, I know for, like, the longest time, I always thought that, like, just him and Pippin and Sam and you know frodo of course they're all just super short people in real life <laughs> yes. you know so it's always kind of like startling when you do see them in a different role and it's like you're supposed to be three foot high bro <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and like i feel like it is skewed because like elijah wood is like genuinely only like five six or something like that yeah I mean, he's a relatively short fella yeah, like he actually you know. is diminutive but then like but i believe that like some of them like are actually you know decently averagely tall at least I would say him and um, Sean Sean Aston are probably about the same. Yeah, height, Sean right? Aston probably is pretty short. I mean, obviously like Rudy, etc. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, it would just be fun if he kind of showed up like uh, his character Bob in Stranger Things in the Star Wars universe, where he's just trying to get along with like Ray's parents or something like that. And he's like, "I'm just the cool dad, you know, <laughs> Jedi. Got, that's great. He's got all the best tech. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He just starts talking to you. What if he shows up as a slicer? Because he was like an audio guy. That would make some sense. It would make perfect sense. But I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Um, so we're talking uh, castings, and we already talked about Monaghan. Let's talk about Matt Smith. Yes. Okay. Well, so now here's here's ahead. where I'm going to start with. So there was also, you know, so obviously we spent a lot of time, like, hypothesizing, what if Richard Grant is, uh, you know, is Thrawn? And it's like, well, I, you know, realistically, I never was all that believing in that. But like he also did an interview and said, "I'm not that character that people think that I might be playing." Ooh. And he couldn't even think of that 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 character's name. That's true. Yeah. So I mean, it, that that's kind of up in the air anymore, and it's not like they're going to try and bring, um, you know, the Emperor back from the dead or anything like that, or even Snoke for that matter. You know, I mean, Snoke's pretty much dead unless that was some kind of convincing body double or something like that. But I think that. Um, with us thinking that him being Thrawn, and like you said as much, uh, you know, it would be kind of a mistake to introduce him this late in the game, especially such a compelling character as him. Unless instead of casting a guy who's actually in his 60s, they cast somebody who's like probably in his late 30s. A.E. Matt Smith. Yes. yes. And uh, I think you put down, 
He's tall and lean, which makes sense. And his his voice is akin to uh, Mark Thomas's portrayal of Thrawn in the audiobook. So I am a big fan of the audiobooks. Uh, that's honestly where most of my reading comes from, just based on, uh, you know, my work. And, you know, I'm able to listen to these books on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Mark Thompson is probably one of my favorite narrators. I mean, he can he can uh, just do the voice of Han and Luke and everybody just so well. And even if he has to like modulate his voice with anything, like he's perfect. Yeah. You know, he, he's a great impressionist. So his role of Emperor Thrawn or Emperor, his role of Admiral Thrawn is very like, Oh, and we'll get into this, but like, it does have like, it's a soft speak softly, you know, it but it, you know, carry stick. Exactly. Yeah. Like you, you could tell that there's power behind this guy, but like he just, he doesn't have to, you know, vocalize how much power he has. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, but that would be interesting to see. I, I mean, a, a lot of people, uh, this might have, you know, people come in, you know, who are Doctor Who fans. They, they may have never, you know, been into Star Wars before or something like that. Now they have something to pull on to. The same thing goes for like Lord of the Ring fans as well. Yeah. You no, know, absolutely. With, so, I mean, I this. Say they're- intentionally pandering to the base but i mean i feel like it's kind of a shrewd move oh come on now you know the last thing they need to do is just get chris pine in and yeah. like there you go <laughs> star trek we're, we're covering every base yep. you know but honestly it's it, i mean it's exciting and uh you know we'll keep track of it and we'll make sure we know what's happening sometime down the line yeah there was a bunch of um set photos i i mean i didn't i'm not really going to get into this but i mean yeah. it looks what they've kind of like what they were filming in that scene was like all right, that's interesting. Yeah, so. I, I I think I know which ones you're talking about. I, we you know in a, in a way of spoilers, we won't bring them up, but you can look them up for yourselves if you like. Uh, you know, but they, it'll bring some contrast into what we think is going to actually happen. You know, yeah. you, you're gonna you're gonna have some theories of your own, and that's you know that's for you to decide, or if you want us to figure it out, you know, get at us on our Facebook page or whatever, and let us know. But yeah. Uh, some other news going on. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, they released a trailer for Star Wars Resistance, and that's like a new cartoon show that's coming out, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, the big thing about this is um, they already pretty much said as much that this show itself is going to probably be, you know, predominantly a kid show. Okay. Right. Which um, they said about the Clone Wars and Rebels and, they, and Rebels and everything like that. But like, you know season one of clone all right well let's double back so when you and me i I think it was your sister too we went and actually saw the clone wars movie yes right and we uh, this actually was one of my favorite topics to talk about was when we saw the movie we saw ahsoka and we're like ahsoka's cool and everything but like she's gonna die right (laughs) because like at that time when the clone wars movie came out you're just thinking to yourself like the Order 66 comes and goes. There's only two Jedi and two Sith left in the entire galaxy. So how is this going to work out? How are they going to introduce this character who's so lovable and so great? And, like, you'd know that she's going to just get offed at the end of the season or something like yeah. that, right? Well, and I'll, I'll even say, like, I feel like my first impression of her was, like, not that good. Like, I oh, was yeah. just like, this is just a little kid character for little kids that's just annoying and whining and like snips was like yeah snips was a very appropriate nickname for her and uh she called was like just watch yourself sky guy and it's like oh Oh. you you kind of like had to hold yourself back (laughs) and everything but um later on like they i think they abandoned the nicknames for each other like i feel like after the first season alone yeah 
he never heard Sky Guy or Snips for that matter again. Yeah. You know, there is a book I remember I was reading about like Darth Vader where he has some kind of flashback and he's like, Snips, Ahsoka, you know, it's like something like that. But, it, you know, it, beyond that, like there's only a few mentions here and there, like in other media. But what I'm getting at with is like, it starts off very childish and kiddish, but at the end of the day, it's it's a very gripping story. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's about war itself, you know, the Clone Wars themselves, and like it's just, you know, you feel for all these characters and all this kind of stuff. And it, I mean, the the amount of material just became so adult, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it really went to some very serious um, and kind of dark, morbid places. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, you know, you never know, uh, you know, how it's going to play out. So I want to, you know, I want to give Resistance the benefit of the doubt. If they decide to keep it as a kids show, then bully for them. But you also got to remember that they have this other show out called Force of Destiny. Yeah. Um, and it's a good point. And they do consider a lot of that canon. They do, which is weird you know. because, like, it's I don't know. I think some of them are made like two or three minute shorts yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. But like, you know, it there's be like a story with um Jin Erso and K two SO and then there's one with Daisy or no, uh with Ray and uh BB eight, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone's got their you know, the robotic sidekick or one way or the other. And you go to uh there's a story with Leia when she's on I think Endor and she's actually with Wicket. That's considered canon i don't know the story itself but whatever the frick happens it's considered canon yeah, now yeah. so you gotta watch yourself with this kind of stuff yeah, you know what yeah, i mean the, i mean like i'll be honest um you know and this is i think something that we're gonna you know because we're gonna do a lot of kind of jumping back and forth between legends and canon today yeah. um you know as we get into our thrawn discussion i think um but you know it's it's one of those things where I think people complained that the canon was a little too muddied when there was only the expanded universe. It's true. Um, yeah. Just because there was so much of it and it's like hard to keep track of. But like the problem now is that like you have, you know, this like literally, you know, forces of destiny is basically like four little girls. That's what uh, they're trying. I mean, I think it's a, uh, they have like Barbie dolls, so to speak, yeah, right, yeah. of the characters. Yeah, and like, and trust me, I'm not saying that as any kind of indictment, but it's like, no, no, no. You know, I and like, please, you know, make this a more inclusive environment so that we can get rid of the crap that's been going on for the last year. Not, um, not that we're gonna like delve into that right now, yeah. but, um, you know, but it's kind of like, okay, so like, that's really not something that I'm going to tune into. And then like, they're doing a lot of like new canon books that are truly like for young adults or for children. Yeah. You know, that are also considered part of the canon. It's like, okay, so how like how do I try to make sense of all of that? It's it's a slippery slope, but you know, it, and we even talked about this before including our name and everything like that. It used to be that George Lucas had the final say on everything. Yes. You know, and now it's become such a big animal in itself with the everyone deciding what is real and what is legends. Um, you know, it, you can just kind of interpret it your own way, but I mean, this is also a good thing for, you know, uh, a lot of people, you know, if you have, if you're, you know, if you're a father who's, uh, you know, just obsessed with star Wars and like you have a little girl, this is a perfect way for her to get into it. You know, it's just to show her, it's not all just, you know, boys with their toys and stuff like that. You know, like the, there's, there's a lot of strong female characters in the star Wars universe. And I like that they're, they're showing that, you know, they're, they're bringing everyone in and it, it makes it all just that much more inclusive yeah no absolutely and uh, yeah i guess when i say how am i supposed to stay on top of that i guess it's like well maybe someday in the future i will have a daughter and <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> then well, we can yeah. share those moments together 
That's what I'm hoping for. I'm doing it with my fiance right now, so that's as close as I'm getting. I'm just like, look, it's, it's, you know, it, it, don't you like it? You know, it's like, ah, whatever. <laughs> you try, you try, but at the end of the day, you're just going to enjoy it yourself. But uh, we should say that uh, Dave Fellini is involved with the Resistance, and he was the creator of the Clone Wars and Rebels. And Rebels, but uh, apparently he's not the you know he's not the lead creator. He's only an executive producer, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I have heard. That he's only executive producing it. So like, you know, he kind of has, you know, final say on things, but like he's not like developing the storylines. Yeah. yeah, if he puts his cowboy hat up. It's a good sign. If he pulls the brim down, you know you're going to have a bad yeah, day. Yeah, bad, bad times. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but so, uh, you know, and that that's kind of cool because that's because he's also currently working on the revival of the Clone Wars. That's all I'm excited about, that. Yes, and and an apparently as yet unnamed project as well that will also be Star Wars animation. That's what I'm hoping. I mean, I hope they they, they kind of keep the same lines that they do with the run of Clone Wars right now. That animation to me is simply amazing, and it's not to, it's not to knock the animation style of Rebels at all. Like they definitely, I think they made it a little more fluent, you know. Yeah. But uh, with Clone Wars, it seemed a little more visceral. It seemed more real. Yeah. I, I don't know how you would actually put yeah. it. Yeah. I think there's also just, like, I think because Clone Wars was the longest, like, you know, it's like five seasons of 20-plus episodes each. True, um, yeah. Plus the lost episodes. Yes. Um, Like, I think you just kind of get used to it. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, with Rebels, it's, you know, it's a shorter series. Like, they only did, like, I think it's only, like... Four seasons. Yeah, four seasons, and it's, like, 13 episodes per season or something like that. It's, I mean, it's not terrible in its own right. Like, they they cover a lot of bases in a short amount of time. Mm. You know, I think... The one thing I noticed, like right off the bat, was the lightsabers, and it it makes sense honestly because you look at the Clone Wars, it it involves Jedi and Sith to you know a much like, higher degree. Yeah, it's reaming with them, yeah. and then you go to the you know the Rebels show, and they they're on the run, so you don't actually see it as much. But like they had a lot more creative freedom when it came to the Rebels, I think, just because they were like, well, here's what everything's like after the fall of the you know the Republic and the rise of the Empire. So you have the Inquisitors, you know, I remember the first time I saw an Inquisitor and he, like he had the spinning blade and I'm like, you know, that's cool and all, you know, but Darth Maul did it better, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was like right off the bat, Darth Maul, you know, he just used his hands. You just hit a button and it starts spinning, yeah. you know, like what's the, what's the point of that? And they use it as like a helicopter half the time. Oh, it's like, okay. <laughs> I, so, you know, yeah, I fully admit I am not up to date on rebels. I, in fact, I, well, I haven't seen Oh yeah, I just, like, I I just dropped off the first two for you, so yeah. we'll ca- so. we'll cover that in due time, <laughs> yes, yes. you know. But again, like I said, I I I was the same way. I I honestly, the reason I started watching uh, Rebels in general was because season three they announced Grand Admiral Thrawn, yes. and that is a good segue into our topic today. Now, last week we started this new tradition we call the Chance Cube. And uh, we'll roll it to decide who does what and what we'll do exactly. And uh, Andrew won last time, so we are actually going to be covering today Thrawn by Timothy Zahn. It is a Star Wars novel. It is considered new canon. um, And it actually takes place prior to his introduction in Season 3 of Rebels. Yes. So why don't we get into it a little bit. Uh, Andrew, you want to 
read a little synopsis or anything like that? Do you want to give up uh, what you got? Well, sure. I do have the, um, you know, I have the book here in front of me, so I'll just read the back cover synopsis. That's Sounds good. good start. Oh, yeah. After Thrawn is rescued from exile by Imperial soldiers, his deadly ingenuity and keen tactical abilities swiftly capture the attention of Emperor Palpatine. And just as quickly, Thrawn proves to be as indispensable to the Empire as its most loyal servant, Darth Vader. On missions to rout smugglers, snare spies, and defeat pirates, Thrawn triumphs time and again. As one promotion follows another in his rapid rise to greater power, he schools his trusted aide, Ensign Eli Vanto, in the arts of combat and leadership, and the secrets of seizing victory. Still, Thrawn has much to learn about the political arena, where ruthless Arinda Price could be his potent ally or a brutal enemy. But becoming an admiral will put Thrawn to the ultimate test, as he marshals all his knowledge, instincts, and battlefield brilliance against an insurgent uprising that threatens the Empire's grip on the galaxy, and his own carefully laid laid plans for future ascendancy. Now, if you don't have chills, I don't know what's wrong with you. Although, uh, I'm starting to get goosebumps well, over here. <laughs> I, have to, I have to say one thing, though. All I right. don't think that synopsis is very accurate to what the book is about. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that they were just kind of trying to bring you in. You know, we talked about this before. It's kind of a red herring, right? Yeah. But, but, like talking about Darth Vader, who is, I mean, look, he's in the book. But not as much as you'd like, yes. I guess, you know, or as much as you would expect. Yes. And but um, and also Thrawn is literally already an admiral by the time the book ends. That is true, yeah. <laughs> Before the final showdown takes place. So why don't we start from the beginning a little bit on this, right? Um, I, just right off the bat, I could say that I really enjoyed the inner monologue of Thrawn. Yes. I... Uh, Throughout the book, there are sections, I think particularly just at the beginning of each chapter, where you'll have an inner, uh, inner monologue from Thrawn himself and actually explain how a warrior works. Yes. Or something yeah. like that. In fact, actually, at the very, at the very end, and this isn't really like a, a spoiler or anything, but we learn that that is literally like Thrawn's journal. Yeah. It's insane. But like at the same time, uh, you know... He, it, it, the other in a monologue besides the journal itself comes from his reading of body language of people. Yes. You know, so when, when he's first introduced, uh, you know, in the original Thrawn trilogy, the Legends trilogy, you learn that most of his uh, deduction powers actually come from uh, him, like looking at the art of a species and just being able to surmise their battle strategy from a piece of art or something like that. Yeah, he can learn it, their patterns and their cultural norms and kind of make assumptions about what their you know what they would be like on a battlefield exactly and then at this point uh you know he can be you know standing next to someone and like he could see like their blood temperature rises as their face you know their face flushes of you know all color or whatever it's like <laughs> facial it's clearly... heat and muscle tension he uses yes. timothy zahn uses those words like at least a hundred times each Oh, it's incredible, but like he's able to deduce a lie or just emotions from you know just how these people work, and it, we should also specify that with the Chiss, they have uh, hypersensitive like sight and sound, like so they they could see on a different infrared spectrum. I think it is, yes, right. So it's like not only are their eyes better, but their ears are better as well. So like they're just they're the superhuman form of what you would want to be yeah. at that point. But um, so to start off, it, I mean. 
they say right off the bat that Thrawn is actually exiled, right? Yes. yes. And he's exiled to this, uh, I forget, I don't know if they actually had named the planet or not, but it was just a backwater planet. Yeah. And it was on the edge of wild I mean, I, space. Yeah, I mean, I think they were literally, like, there to, like, record it for, like, the new galactic registry or whatever. Yeah, well, from what I remember, they were chasing some kind of smugglers or something like that. They ended up on this place. Mm-hmm. They found this hut, and they were still under the uh, the code of the Republic when it came when you came to yeah. crossing new, new yeah, species, new alien exploration or something like that. Yeah, so like they had to go through the whole thing. But the thing I loved was like right off the bat, Thrawn was playing with these guys. He was like testing their capabilities. So like there was a it's a point where. Uh, they put up, uh, you know, a, a, a shield to go around the entire base, um, but in the middle of the night, there's explosions to start going off. And like, at one point, they find uh, a crashed planet, or no, not a crashed planet, uh, a, a crashed V-wing. <laughs> sorry, a crashed V-wing, and uh, the V-wing itself, uh, the it's missing the pilot, and so the pilot itself, uh, they like they only find the. Um, uh, the the jumpsuit and the jumpsuit's full of like grapes and like smushed berries and whatnot and it has this very pungent potent smell and they bring it back for examination only later do you realize that all these explosions that actually happen are these little animals that can reach in underneath the shield itself and they're attracted to the berries yes so you know it's it's a it, it's a stupid little thing like that but it's smart because it has everyone just going what the hell's going on yeah. you know yeah I mean it makes Thrawn one man seem like you know a dozen. a dozen or more exactly he's knowledgeable enough to i love this part where he he takes the the helmet of the first guy he takes the comm link but they never check the comm link yes. right and he replaces it with the second comm link of a second downed fighter yes. and that way he's able to listen into their communications and all this kind of stuff yeah. oh I mean, just right off the bat, you can just see that this guy's going to be a problem, you know. But you want him on your team, obviously, and that's where you went last week. I can tell you as much, you know. Yes. But it's just, it's just right off the bat, you could just tell that he's just this badass alien. And um, the, I think it was like the colonel was just so fed up with like having all this shit run around. He was just like, you know, forget it. We'll just take the whole friggin' you know hut with us. And they literally just upend the the ground and everything around his house and just bring it back to the Star Destroyer, you know. And there they find him snooping around and everything. And thus he's captured or unless he's voluntarily captured. He lets himself. Yeah, exactly. He kind of, you know, he makes it appear as though, you know, like he was still trying to, you know, flee from them. But like he kind of realizes that this is exactly what where he needed to be. So then he basically just kind of gives himself up. Exactly. And then he's shepherded off to uh, Coruscant um, to actually be presented like a gift <laughs> to the Empire or Emperor. Yes, to actual Emperor Palpatine, which at first feels a little unlikely or surprising. But, um, you know, but then we do kind of learn some pretty good uh, backstory that was recently just told in the latest Thrawn book, which is called Thrawn Alliances. And we learned that Thrawn actually had contact with Anakin Skywalker during the Clone Wars, which I think you actually even mentioned the last time we recorded Connor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, the way he put it was, uh, you know, he had prior contact with him, you know, during the Clone Wars when it was still at the height of the Clone Wars. And um, 
the like uh, when he actually when Thrawn actually meets the Emperor, he was like, uh, 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 an individual I had met, uh, you know, spoke highly of you, and I was hoping to run across him, you know, General Skywalker, yes. and like that caused everyone to kind of go, <gasps> you know, because <laughs> like you know, no one wants to offend the Emperor, and he's like. Anakin Skywalker is dead. You know, he's like, he's been dead for some time. But obviously he's not dead. You know, he just goes by a different moniker, but whatever. So, you know, but all the same, like, um, that definitely caused, a, you know, a, a peak of interest for the Emperor, I think, just to know that he had a run-in with one of, you know, his disciple, essentially. Yes, yeah, his literal right-hand man. Let me double back on you real quick. So we're talking about Thrawn, but we have yet to even bring up Eli. Okay. Okay. All right, Eli Vanto. So at the beginning of the book, when they're on this, when they're on this uh, strange planet and they're fighting Thrawn, or at least trying to figure out what ha- what is happening to their crew, uh, they bring in this cadet, right? Uh, and he's, I mean, he still has like some training to do. Like he's not even a full fledged emperor soldier, empire soldier yet, uh, imperial soldier. Sorry. Um, he's on track to be a supply officer. Uh, his family, uh, ran supplies, uh, in their part. And they figured that, you know, the next logical step was to get a gig with the empire and, uh, you know, just make some money. You know, he's done supplies his entire life and everything like that. And, um, he just, you know, he wants to do right by his family. So he goes and joins the military and then, uh, he gets pulled onto this, uh, you know, backwater world to, you know, help them to, uh, decipher, these uh, strange markings and everything like that. And he's able to figure it out. And, uh, you know, he's able to read it for what it is. It's trading language or whatnot. You know, he knows some of the language and some of the uh, traditions of the shipping in that area. And then uh, when Thrawn's actually brought aboard the, the Star Destroyer, Eli is standing next to the, uh, the commander, you know, and he's like, the commander's like, do you speak basic you know, and then Eli, he goes, or would Cy Bistie be better or whatever, like without even thinking, yes. you know, and that's a whole thing where it's like, you don't talk out of place or whatever, but like the commander was even much as like, I presume you asked him if he spoke English or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I did. And, you know, but he felt like a fool about it. Long story short, he ends up being the translator for Thrawn and the entire trip from Thrawn's exile planet to Coruscant is spent with, uh, Eli telling Thrawn how, you know, how to speak basic and like understand these different words or whatever. So he can understand a bit of basic and everything like that, but he, you know, he couldn't actually speak it. And they made a, they made a point to this, uh, the, it's an old novel called outbound flight. Right. And, uh, in that book, they do bring Thrawn back. And, uh, it's these traders who get lost at the edge of wild space and Thrawn finds them and they make, I mean, they even make like a nod to it in the book where it's like some traders some time ago came back and yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But, and so I guess on that front, this is something that I actually heard recently, you know, so, so going back to, um, like when Thrawn alliances first came out, um, you know, Tim, Timothy Zahn was doing a lot of, uh, like press and whatever. And like. One of the things that I found that was really funny was that, like, he basically said, like, you know, as far as I'm concerned, everything that I have ever written in the Star Wars universe is canon, which is funny because it's not. Uh, I know. It would be nice because, I mean, he he wrote the original trilogy on Thrawn. Like, Thrawn's his character. Yeah. So I can understand him being... why Thrawn is his character? Can you tell Uh, why Thrawn is his character? I actually know. Hit me. What do you got? Say Timothy Zahn 
and then say Thrawn and say them really fast as quickly as you can, back and forth. Tibbet Thrawn, uh, yeah. <laughs> Tibbet Thrawn, Admiral Thrawn, Tibbet Thrawn, Thrawn, Tibbet Thrawn. Yeah, I can see that. Yep. Okay, that's kind of cool. It's I never really thought little, about little that. little George Lucas, Luke Skywalker thing going on. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with that. I can get behind that. That's his deal. I mean, well, he also, I think he was the one who created the Cybisty language, too. I believe that's correct. And from what I read, it's like, it's a, it's like altered speech pattern and like, you know, some syllables altered here and there, but it's actually based on like the Zulu language, which is interesting. You know, of all the different languages you go for, you go for a very, I don't even know if the, I mean, that, you know, if it's very prominent anymore, but Zulu is a very interesting language in itself. Yes. You know, so, but anyways, it, that's the origin of the Cybisty language. And uh, that's actually what the, you know, Eli and his people, they only heard stories of the Chiss. He's, he actually knows them by name, you know, the, his species by name. Yeah. And uh, that causes Thrawn's interest to get piqued. Yeah. And he's like, oh, because, okay. Because yeah, to this point, like, there's genuinely, like, barely anybody that actually knows the Chiss. Yeah. But it's just that, you know. Eli, so, you know, so it's established that Eli is from wild space, which is like beyond the outer rim, but before the unknown regions. So he's even more remote than, than, uh, you know, than Luke Skywalker is at the start of A New Hope. Which is insane to think, you know, because you think you can't get any further than like Tatooine. I mean, I believe that's something that Luke even says in A New Hope. Yeah. You're at the exact opposite end of the bright, shiny center of the galaxy or whatever he says. If you stare at the center of the galaxy, you're on the pan. You're on the planet furthest from. I think that's how you go. Yeah, something yeah. like that. But you're right. So that's just. I mean that, and like even on you know Tatooine itself, there's just myths and stories and all this kind of stuff. So it is. I mean that's that's the name of the game when it comes to the Chiss. I think they wanted to keep it that way. Yes. But this is the first time a Chiss has ever heard the legend. Yes. You know, and there's a there there's some kind of quote. And I'm going to butcher it, but it's like, you know, legends have you know have truths to them somehow you know that's how they become legends or something like that. yeah wasn't well, that like kind of what they the device they used in the rebels episode where they debut thrawn there's always so. some truth in legends yeah 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 ah oh, hence thrawn <laughs> oh man so oh it, it, there's so much to get into. I don't want to actually like yeah, dictate yeah. the entire yeah, book. Yeah, exactly. There's you no know, point in but, doing that. But I mean, I think we should touch on some of the major themes. Um, you know, from there, like, look, the story kind of follows this linear path where, you know, Thrawn is working his way up the ranks. Um, you know, he does it in, in remarkably short time. I mean, yeah. we, we know that like, there's a point about midway through the book where it's established that at least three years has passed. Yes. Because uh, Vanto is still an ensign, and normally you're only supposed to remain as an ensign for about two years upon graduation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's already gone to three years, and even further, I think after the fact. Yeah, at least a little while further. Although I feel like that's approximately around the time um, where he is finally rewarded, which is great. Like, like I said, he was my favorite. You know, I was rooting for him the entire time. You know, because like you felt bad for him just being held back, and you knew it wasn't really his fault, but it was, it was kind of like the corruption on Coruscant. Yes, and they were trying to get at Thrawn any way they could because they couldn't argue with Thrawn's um, results. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Ultimately, he was kicking so much butt that like you can't say he didn't win. Right. You know. Yeah. But Um, it's hard to say at that point because. 
you know, as as epic as uh, Thrawn and Eli's story was, there's also a correlating story of Arinda Price. Now, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah to, I mean, and to me, I don't know, the story is pretty well undone by like her involvement. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Um, like th- when they first introduced her, I was not sure exactly where they were going with it because yes. they started off as just a you know a you know a nice you know she's a family. You know, she's a family-oriented person. Uh, she's worried about her mind, you know, on Lothal. You know, she just wants to have her business back. You know, she just wants to do everything right. And, you know, you just throughout her entire story, you just see the the corruption and the blackmail, you know, and the back, you know, back alley dealings and everything that just go on that just corrupt her to the brink where, like, she is just, you know, you, you can't, you can't even feel bad for her anymore. No, certainly not. I mean, she, you know, well, and it's like, I mean, there's this very kind of moving scene and, and I would say, I mean, the one part that I liked about her story was, you know, it took me a really long time to kind of reach this conclusion where like, Oh, Arinda is bad and her friends are good. And for the longest time I kind of felt the opposite that like her yeah. friends were just like these annoying, like hangers on that like, yeah. didn't have anything going for them. They were just they were just there to like make her feel good. Yes, you know. Um, but you know, but it's basically like they all experience this one event, um, and like, th- and as such, they all go down these very divergent paths. Like, you know, basically, you know, Arinda gets this like real visceral dose of uh, politics in action, yeah, on Coruscant, and basically, her friends are like, this is really messed up how about we try to fight against this kind of back alley dealings and whatever, you know, try and make everything right again. Yes. And actually, you know, restore like, you know, a true and open and free society. And so they kind of, I mean, she refers to them as like lowercase rebels, yeah, not uppercase rebels to be clear. Um, but then, uh, Arinda basically goes the complete opposite path. And starts working with Grand Moff Tarkin and just basically becomes like the biggest and worst Imperial stooge. Um, I mean, as I understand it, she is a Rebels character, correct? She is. Yeah, I think um, so. Like the main planet in the story, I have to I have to watch it again myself. But the main planet in the story, like Ezra's home planet is Lothal. And I believe she is the governor of Lothal, which you find out, you know, towards the end of the book, like she she actually how she gets the governorship of Lothal but originally she you know she was only a uh, a family ma- or you know she was only a resident of it you know that's where her family had the mine and everything like that and uh you know it kind of just fell off of there because um she uh you know she like you said she just let herself kind of fall to the dark side so to speak yeah so to speak you know, I mean to put it you put it lightly you know yes. for everyone to understand you know because she started off with the best intentions like she was working you know f- trying to get like fair housing for yeah. people in Coruscant you know yeah, and just do all this right scary, stuff yeah. uh, <sighs> she's like a almost like a social worker to yeah. start yeah so I mean like you saw her just being this like oh she's you know how could you you know knock this person she's obviously a great person and then uh, you know, everything starts going wrong for her. She starts getting played with and she's like, I know how to play this game. And so like you just it's a good thing about that. I like about the story is you just see how easily people can be corrupted in the in the empire itself on Coruscant, especially 
But like, you know, if you didn't think the empire was evil enough, like just look at her. She's a perfect example of it because like she started off with the best intentions and just one thing after another, just slowly down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. And and that does serve as a very good kind of foil to Thrawn, particularly like if you are familiar with the, um, uh, like the Thrawn trilogy portrayal of Thrawn. I mean, I, I can't really speak about, uh, rebels as I've previously stated. Um, you know, but like, I mean, in this story, I think he's very much like a sympathetic figure and, you know, it is his story and he's like the hero in the story. And you want to, you know, you want to root for yeah, him as much as you're like, succeed. oh, I guess if you want to, you know, play some brass tacks, they don't really ever go after rebels per se. No, it's true. It's very much like smugglers, uh, pirates, pirates, you know, you know kind of, spice runners. Yeah, exactly. Particularly like when he's taking on the, you know, the spice uh, people on the uh, eighth planet. Oh, my God. And he just he like he he takes out the whole he takes out the whole vein. Yes, so right? he destroys the spice from ever being able to be used. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> you go, dude. But you realize at the end of the day, like he also just ruined these people's lives. You know, all their all their agricultural is just agriculture is just decimated. Yes, because they had to get rid of this pre-spice vein. If anyone doesn't know, spice is kind of like an addictive drug. You could say it's kind of like the crack cocaine of this, you know, yeah. empire. Yeah. Yeah. It's it has, super addictive. Yes. And it has Everyone... very del- deleterious health effects for everybody who t- who does it regularly, and you become addicted very easily. What's worse, spice or death sticks? <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> I actually don't know if death sticks is the same thing or not. I, yeah, I don't know if they like put spice into the death sticks. Yeah, it's. I'm going to say spice because like I feel like like there's something that's like very like negatively connotated with spice. Like it's a recurring theme, whereas like death sticks basically you know, only happens the in like a, what was it Attack of the Clones? Yeah. I mean, I know, I know death sticks. Yeah, I know like in <laughs> Legends, for example, um, in the um, well, it's actually called Star Wars Legends. Um, it's a comic series about like the great great grandson of Luke Skywalker. Was it Cade Skywalker? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But so like he smokes death sticks and does all this stuff. So like I mean there is that, but like he's otherwise like kind of functioning. Yeah. Although like he does deal with this addictive personality. Yeah, like, I mean spice just turns you into like just I mean like a snarling animal half the time. I've heard it described mm-hmm. and everything like yeah. that i mean isn't that so, even like oops, kind of sorry. well no it's not never mind i was gonna say is that like the premise of death troopers as well like that it was like a bad batch of spice or something uh, no no it, it um we can get into that another time but as far as i remember it was actually a uh it was a uh black project yes you know yeah, exactly. and it was it was one of these things where it's like um you know how there's like that three-part epoxy Yes. You know, you need, you need like all three parts for it to actually activate. Yeah. It's that kind of deal where like the crew was exposed to just the one part, but they never got the other part or something like that. Yeah. You know, and there's actually a book before that too. I forget the name of it. I, I have to look that up, but it's like a, it's a very scary book in itself. Um, but I'll tell you what, we'll save that one for uh, our Halloween episode. What the hell? Cause that's actually, yeah, I mean, that's like a scary book. Yeah. We, <laughs> We, I mean, I don't want to like, sp- I don't want to tease it all now because it's we're not quite ready for it. But we've we've got some things in the future that I think are going to be really exciting. Um, yeah, we'll uh, some episode ideas. But 
We'll, you know, we'll we'll uh, we'll drop a few, you know, as we go. Yeah. But, I'm not saying uh, we won't tease at all. I'm just saying we'll tease later. I'm down for that. <laughs> um, all right, but, but yeah, but, I guess just, I mean, to kind of put a not a, a, an actual bow on it, but just to kind of put a wrap on maybe kind of recounting some of the story elements. Um, like, you know, to me, ultimately, this was a good novel and like it provides like a very interesting and very informative backstory into Thrawn. I mean, it was, I mean, to that end, more Thrawn would have been even better. Yeah. Like, like less, less Rinder Price. Less Price. <laughs> um, for sure. But also like, um, you know, less of maybe some of the other characters um, that just kind of seem to be like a little bit interfering in the story. Although there, I mean, there's some other very good ones that I really liked. I mean, you know, so we got to see a lot of Colonel Wolf Yularen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he, um, this goes back to, you know, the root of this whole thing where it's like, it could be the smallest detail. And now there's a whole backstory about it. He was only like a one-time character that appeared at A New Hope. Yeah, um, yeah. He's one of the ones sitting at the table at the Death Star, like the first time. Exactly, and he's wearing he's wearing like the white uniform, yes. and you had brought this up before, but he's not wearing the full bars of an admiral. Yes. He's wearing uh, like half bars of a colonel, yes. and it's later discovered that like he's like, oh well, that's because he is the colonel in the ISB, the uh, Imperial Security Bureau. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know they are a beast unto themselves. Um, you know, if if anyone's familiar with how you know the Nazis worked, essentially they had a secret police. Yes. That's exactly what the ISP yeah. is. And I do it's th- their version of and it. And they do a very good job of that in this story, I would say. I mean, like it it well, it's not even like um like that they're a secret police force, but there's just no. a lot of I mean, but anytime that we see the ISB, they're just like we are l- like brazenly breaking the like this law and standards that you're used to right yeah. in your face and you're not they gonna ha- do anything about it. They have no qualms about how they do things to get the job done. Yeah. Yeah, you know? and we see that a few times with them just like ransacking play like buildings and places and arresting people. Yeah, well, um, I, I I almost brought him up on my uh, on my bounty hunter list, Sinjir Rafilas. Yes, he was an ex Imperial loyalty officer, mm-hmm. and in loyalty officers for the ISB themselves, like they actually test you on your loyalty to the Empire. Yes. You know, and that's a scary fact because it's just like, you know, all it could be is like, you know, it's like. Captain so and so is just being so mean. It's like, well, you're not loyal. You're going to jail. <laughs> you know, like that's it's something as simple as that. You know, and it's it's kind of scary when you think about that. Like you can see how everyone just falls in line, and why they do it so much because there cannot be an ISB inspection before you know it. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, like it is kind of funny though because, and this is like one area where I will kind of say that I don't like a thing that the Clone Wars did. So, you know, to go back to it, you know, so in the Clone Wars, Wolf Ularen is, like, he is the admiral to Anakin's ground forces, That's to true. General Skywalker's ground forces. He's on the uh, on the Venator-class starship. Yeah, and, yeah. like, they kind of paint him as this kind of likable character on uh, on the Clone Wars. But, and, and, like, Dave Filoni's even gone so far as to say that, well, he was, like, you know, so many of the Nazi officers, he was just following orders. Yep. And like that's all well and good, but like then you're going to tell me that he's part of ISB? Yeah. Like yeah. I mean he might have been just following orders, but like it's just a problematic portrayal is all I have to say. It's insane. I mean he says as much in the book himself, well like uh Yularen like you know, he's seen so much 
you know, go on in the Clone Wars, you know, it, that maybe that just kind of numbs him to what it takes to be loyal to the Empire. Yes. You know, like he knows what it takes. And I mean, he is like the prime example of it, you know, but I mean, at the same time, you know, you, you got good examples of like evil when it comes to like Tarkin. Yes. Like I'm surprised Tarkin isn't involved with the ISB because he is the definition of xenophobic. Right? Yeah. Which, you know, <laughs> which does bring big... me to another problem with this story a little bit. Go ahead. Is that um, just to kind of stay on that topic, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, so so as I, I did mention, you know, Tar- Tarkin is in this story and it's really weird because he's like all too happy to help Thrawn, basically. Which is, yeah. I mean, he it's... helps Thrawn through Arinda Price, who is a human, to be clear. Yeah. But like when you think about like the rampant xenophobia of the empire. And I think the book actually does a good job of hitting on that. I do too. Uh, I mean, I think like Eli has multiple conversations with Thrawn saying like, look, I'm not a racist, but (laughs) (laughs) But there's a lot of people out there that are racist that are trying to put you down. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're going to start off in a very like bad light. You know, it's like, it doesn't even matter if you do great, you know, it doesn't matter if, you know, you're like Arinda in the beginning, like you're a social worker, you're still going to be looked at as, as like a second class citizen, yes. you know, and it's, it's impossible to, to know that Thrawn's going to have a great time because as we we're saying, like when it comes to the empire, it's almost tr- like strictly human. And I mean, yeah. that goes all the way back to like when the movies came out, mm-hmm. you know, you looked at the rebels, you know, for the most part, you know, you did see humans, but like towards the end, you saw that they were working with aliens. And stuff yeah. A like lot that. more diverse kind of. And uh, the way that they put it in the book, and it's a very good way of like how they bring it about. Uh, there's a lot of like Semitism towards the aliens uh, of the galaxy, because most of them were involved with the separatists in the clone yeah, yeah, which actually was, like, I never really thought about it that way, and yeah. that was a nice thing in this book that was like, ah, that makes some sense. It does. You think about the Clone Wars, like, the clones themselves, for the majority of it was humans, yeah. and then you had the Jedi who varied in species, but it was these different systems that were falling to it, you know? So, yeah. like, you know, some systems were, you know, appealing to the aid of the Republic, whereas some were separating themselves to get their own independence. Yeah. And it's like, you could see how some people would have resentment towards these other aliens yeah, and stuff exactly. like that. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, you just think about it a little bit. We see, like, the Nemoidians and, yes. you know, and the Genosians and, you know, uh, and, like, when you think about, like, the major battles from the prequel movies, it is with, like, largely non-humans as the opposing force. I mean, beyond, like, the fact that it's also robots. Yeah, but I mean, it, the fact of the matter is, is it, it they send the robots to do the fighting for the most part. Yes. Like, Geonosians were, like, a big exception. And, like, I think Umbarans were a big exception, too. Yeah. Um, you know, even Umbarans were, they were, they were like actually kind of humanoid. humanoid yeah. But they had their, yeah, they they were just, like, a different language. They might even be speaking Cybistic for all we know. For all we know. <laughs> but I, uh, I appreciate that Umbara was in the book. Yeah, was... I, I I really like that that section of the Clone Wars myself. Like yeah. they, that that whole planet itself is very creepy. Yes, yeah, and I and I think there was, I mean, and obviously, I mean, that was a very powerful storyline too. Yeah, well, that was a General Creel one, right? Yes, exactly. Oh my God! All right, so that we'll save that for another topic. But yes. to get back in the line, the idea is that like not only is it just aliens, but especially with the core worlds being the way that they are. Um, Eli being from wild space, 
he is considered the same status yeah. as alien. Yeah, he's basically an alien to any like you know to a Coruscanti elite. Yeah, and like it's even so much as like they just they don't give him the time of day. They just treat him like trash. Yeah. You know, and that's I mean it, he may be human himself, but it, you know, he he's not at the same caliber as core worlds. He's always going to be looked down upon, you know. He's not a part of the country club. You know, he's the guy, he's the gardener, essentially, you know, he's like, that's kind of how they look at him. He's a kitchen staff or whatever, you know, it's, he's not equal status. And it's like, you feel for him. Yeah, no, absolutely. The real hero of this novel, actually. Honestly, yeah. Like, Eli was my, like, I was rooting for him the entire time. Like, at first it was like, Arinda, you could do so much better. And the next thing you know, it's like, all right, you can stop doing it. All aboard the Eli bus. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Let's just follow Eli into the great unknown and just hope for the best you know so but so yeah we covered all that and i liked all that but the one last thing i want to cover about the book itself was why was thrawn working with the empire yeah so and you know this is definitely i i was even still fleshing out my research today because i was like i don't feel like i know that what it's gonna say but i don't think this is all there is to say about it right so in legends and i mean this is definitely a retcon um you know when 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 timothy zahn wrote the first you know the thrawn trilogy novels he was not writing them with the idea that the yuzon vong invasion was going to be a thing he was going the george lucas route where he had no idea what he was doing yeah you know he just made it up as he went along and like i mean it's been a theme ever since then where he you know it's about what he saw that caused him to join the empire. Um, but then it is eventually retconned that it is the Yuuzhan Vong. And in fact, I actually was reading online today that in the legends canon, he refer like he actually first makes contact with uh, Palpatine in like, f- like five years after the Phantom Menace. So like before the events of attack of the clone. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I mean, almost, almost around the same time then almost. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're we're still talking uh, the difference of like ten years, I'd say. But I mean, yeah. relatively enough that like he's part of the you know part of his you know inner circle when he does rise to power, emperor. I mean, yes, yeah, absolutely. So like he's kind of already a known entity, but it also kind of you know adds credence to the fact that he didn't like actually rise through all of the ranks in like five years. Yeah, um, which you know might make sense, might be a little bit stronger. I don't know. But so anyway, obviously, you know, I don't think we're ever going to see the Yuuzhan Vong in, like, new Disney canon. I don't know either, especially considering how, I mean, just your description of Naminor, you know, yes. like, they killed, what is it, 365 trillion people? Yeah. And throughout the galaxy, they they live on these world trips and whatnot, like... They are a nightmare. Like, if you ever get a chance to actually, like, Google an image, you know, some artwork of the Yuuzhan Vong, yeah. you won't sleep easy. No, you know? I, I agree. I, th- I mean, they are gnarly. Like, <laughs> and, but, I mean, this goes back to what I was saying. They, they brought, like, um, they brought instances of, um, uh, what the heck, um, Outbound Flight, that the other Timothy Zahn novel. Yes. And in that book, they're fighting this nomad alien and there's no like alien race mm-hmm. forget the name of them exactly but like th- let me just tell you how like evil they are they will uh, attack you know another species like the no the idea of them being nomad is that they never leave their ships 
You know, like they're just, there's no home planet for these guys. They're just constantly on the move. And so what they'll do is they'll ransack settlements and they'll get all the supplies and food and whatnot. And they'll actually take prisoners and they'll put the prisoners on the outside of their ships in bubbles as shields. Yes. So uh, for the Chiss to actually try and like fight them or whatever, like they, they would have to voluntarily kill these people before they even got a chance so it's insane like you know that that and he even brings up as much in the book thrawn does where he's like what is out there you know eli or the emperor asking is like what is out there and he just evil like he just says it like you know just like super super serious but it's nothing more than that he's just like evil you know and thrawn himself even proclaims that you know the empire is a necessary yet toxic evil but he wants to try and mold it and prepare it for this other evil to come. And hopefully when the time is right that they can help the Chiss Ascendancy. Yes. You know, so he's, you know, it, it's revealed that he knew what, you know, he knew, he knows what he's doing more or less. I won't, I won't get too far into it. I'll let people yeah. read it for themselves. Yeah, exactly. You, you get to see that like physically manifest at least a couple times in the story, particularly yeah. right at the very end in, uh, what is, I think, a very good ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that part of the ending, anyway. Yeah. The very, very end. And uh, also, what did you think of his rival throughout the book? Night Swan. Night Swan. Night Swan was pretty badass. Yes. I won't. We won't reveal who Night Swan is, just because it's it's a mystery. But um, I like the fact that with Thrawn being such a strong character in himself, with tactics and strategy, mm-hmm. he had someone that pretty much rivaled him. Yeah. You know, like through the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I actually had even like highlighted that passage in the book. I'm just going to like read it extremely quickly. Go ahead. An enemy will almost never be anything except an enemy. All one can do with an enemy is defeat him. But an adversary can sometimes become an ally. There is a cost, of course. In all things in life, there is a cost. In dealing with an adversary, sometimes the cost is paid in power or position. Sometimes it is paid in pride or prestige. Sometimes the cost is greater. Sometimes the risk is one's future or even one's life. But in all such situations, the calculation is straightforward. Whether or not the potential gain is worth the potential loss. And the warrior must never forget that he and his adversary are not the only ones in that equation. Sometimes all the universe may hang in the balance. Wow. (laughs) But you know what? It's true, though, because... When it came to Thrawn coming out in his original trilogy, it just seemed like he was unstoppable. You you never knew exactly how, you know, Han, Luke, and Leia were going to get out of all these crazy situations. But in this book, they show that he, you know, as, you know, fortunate and, you know, just ham-handedly lucky that he is, he's able to just get himself out of it. And, like, next thing you know, he has this one person who's, like, a step ahead of him the entire time. I love that. Yeah. No, I think, I mean... I think that portrayal is great and like, I mean, it is, it is extremely effective. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. that it is just kind of like this war game between Thrawn and, and Night Swan. Almost said it, didn't you? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your lips moving in the right there's, way. I'm like, oh, yeah. I feel like there's even a part where I might have to scrub another time where I started to say is the person's name. Yeah. Well, Hopefully no one was paying attention at that point. Yes. They were just enthralled <laughs> with the idea that Thrawn is just this awesome being. Yes. But otherwise, um, I want to give this this book a quick rating. I'm going to give it, uh, at least for me, I'm going to give it a nice 3.5 out of 5. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'll accept that. I think, actually, that's probably about where I come down to. Yeah. I mean, I think the portrayal of Thrawn is 
is incredible. Um, you know, I think um, a lot of like the way that Eli confronts a lot of the kind of societal things in the book is also excellent. Yeah, he he takes a lot of it with stride, yeah. and he, he just wants you know he wants to do his part. That's all I keep saying. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely correct about that. And then I think the um, you know, and I think again, Night Swan and Night Swan is very good. And uh, the only you know, it but it does get dragged down a little bit by how much we time we spend with Orinda. Yeah, that's true. Like, it, not to say that her story isn't like. I mean, it's very, it, very com- sympathetic, almost. Yeah, sy- I mean, sympathetic. Or it's just compelling, I guess, is my yeah. word that I would use. It's like you, you just see how evil the Empire could be, basically because you start off with someone who just has a clean slate, mm-hmm. and it just honestly gets muddy and muddier and muddier throughout the entire book, yes. you know, until, you know, you can't even see it for what it used to be. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of how I looked at it. Yeah. But... That's our uh, that's our review of Thrawn. I think that was a pretty solid review. It's not bad for a first uh, you know book review, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, you know? um, I have to say, I, I give a shout out to Star Wars Bookworms. That was it's a podcast that I've listened to a few times just to I get some uh, inspiration for how you actually review a book. I want to uh, get into them myself because I feel like all I was doing was like, so here's what happens. <laughs> you know, I was trying to avoid just explicitly saying, you know, as much like that this is how the book goes. But um, you could tell as much that we both enjoyed the book regardless. And, you know, there was just a lot of stuff that we wanted to, you know, just go over, you know. And we even said as much. We were starting this before the show even started. We just wanted to talk about it. So it's just insane, man. But um, so... That was Thrawn by Timothy Zahn, and uh, you know if you get a chance to read it or listen to it, uh, we highly recommend it. And, you know, I'm sure it's available on iTunes itself or even Audible or something like that, or you know go to your local Barnes and Nobles or bookstore, just find a little handbook. It's perfect. Yeah, it's in uh, it's in paperback now, so you know Ooh. it's only about ten bucks to buy. That ain't bad at all in print form. <laughs> oh man! But uh, before we go. Uh, we just happen to have a chance cube here like we did last time, and uh, we're going to throw it and see what uh, comes up. So again, it's black for and no, it's black for me and blue for Andrew. So here we go. And, oh, it's black. Okay, it's my turn. Aha! Okay. So we did a book report for you last time. Yes. I think we've been doing good with top fives. Yes. I want to do another top five. I'm thinking... We did t- talk about it a lot. Let's do top five Clone War episodes. All right. How's that sound? It sounds good. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. And I will give you, I'll, I'll give you uh, a little bit of bias on this. It's just um, there are a hell of a lot of like two and three parts. Well, that's why I'm saying it's going to be hard. <laughs> so I will allow that. Okay. You don't have to pick your favorite one arc. of the three. Yeah. Yeah. You can pick your favorite arc or you can pick your favorite standalone episode. Okay. All right. I can I can work with those parameters. Because I'm going to go back, because I'm the same way. I know that there's at least two stories that come to mind when I think about the arcs. I'm like, I want to talk about it, but I can't just talk about the one, because you want to talk about what happens next, you know? Yes. So, all right. Let's do that for next week. Uh, well, uh, you know, a couple weeks from now. But uh, otherwise, what other topics do we actually have on hand that we want to tease a little bit? Well, so... Within the next month or so, you know, we'll be seeing, well, okay, I guess today is September now, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> Happy September, everybody. Yes. So, 
you know, later this month, Solo is coming out. So I think we're going to have to sit down and do our own commentary track for it. Uh, that, it's going to be a little bit of a longer episode. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we'll try and keep it entertaining at the very least. Yes. So, but I'm down for that. I'm looking very much forward yes, to that. And maybe a little Halloween special after that. That sounds good to me. That, and I think that one we can cover all the, you know, the, the spookier books, if you will. Yeah. yeah. You know, we could get even more in depth on the use on Vong because they are a spooky bunch. Yes. <laughs> Star Wars horror. Catch it. Oh, catch it. There you go. I like it. I like it. All right. God. Man, I don't know about you. I had a great time today. Did you have a good time today? Yeah, it was a boring conversation anyway. Well, I bet you have. <laughs>